Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we reveal lies the food industry has been telling us with Brian Sanders. Basically, all whole foods and mostly animal foods and protein foods have the correct satiety per calorie. So I don't like looking at calories. Right? I think it's kind of meaningless. But it's like you eat a 60-ounce steak. I have zero care how many calories are in that steak because I know if I'm eating that amount of food, the satiety will match the amount of calories. So I'm going to be full for the correct amount of time. Okay. The opposite would be a glass of orange juice or something, apple juice. So the, this does not provide satiety, but it provides all the calories. Whole foods, especially the protein and animal foods, they keep you full properly. They keep you full for the right amount of time. They have this, the right amount of satiety to calories. The more processed food you have or the more processed ingredients are, the less satiety they have, but they still have the same amount of calories. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we have Mr. Food Lies himself filmmaker of the Food Lies documentary and host of the top five nutrition podcast, Peak Human, Brian Sanders. With this story, he's going to share some of the challenges his mom and dad had with their health and how that opened up his eyes and his mind to ask some questions and dig into the research. And what he discovered is that what we've been fed by the mainstream media and the government when it comes to nutrition is probably, <laughs> I would say it is, the exact opposite of what we should be doing from the food pyramid to cows polluting the earth, creating a climate crisis and global warming. He's going to debunk that along with those propaganda films, those vegan films, such as What the Health, Game Changers. And he has made the ultimate film with research and amazing experts and just incredible editing to combat all the propaganda films out there. And it's called Food Lies. And we're going to talk about that. He's going to deep dive into what cows really are doing and how to do it the right way and support regenerative farming. He has his own farm as well, his own company, which helps with regenerative farming and agriculture and the climate crisis. We also get into the importance of protein and nutrients and how those should be a separate category than fat and carbs. Those are the building blocks and why he thinks that the reason we have an obesity problem is that people are undernourished when it comes to protein. And he's going to share with you uh, an amazing research and amazing stories to why people are overeating processed foods in order to achieve their protein requirement and how that could be overcome with focusing on high-quality animal-based 
protein. We get into some of the myths surrounding red meat. Does it cause cancer? I don't think so. And we talk about the problems with these epidemiology studies that show that it does. We get into the vegan push uh, and what they're saying and why it's false, but they're doing a good job with marketing and so much more. If you want to watch the video version of this interview, this podcast interview with Brian, that could be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. Before I bring on Brian, I want to take a minute to get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Quick Sticks 17 titled Great Interview with Dr. Harper. I have to give a positive nod to the very interesting interview with Dr. David Harper. It was very informative and interesting, and I even geeked out a bit. I plan to get Dr. Harper's book, BioDiet, based on the interview and his knowledge. Thank you so much from Joe Q. Joe, thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed that episode with Dr. David Harper. If you missed that interview, episode 422, you could listen to that after this one. He dove deep into cardiovascular health, how ketones support the mitochondria in the heart, and all about cancer. And uh, Joe, I want to thank you for listening and for taking the time to leave that rating and review. I'm glad you geeked out on the episode. I geeked out as well. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so on Apple Podcast or whatever podcast you're listening from. Maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. Okay, let's go right into the episode with Brian Sanders. Brian Sanders is a filmmaker behind the Food Lies documentary. He's the host of the Top 5 Nutrition Podcast, Peak Human, and he's an international speaker. He graduated from UCLA with a degree in mechanical engineering. He works as a health coach at Evolve Healthcare and co-founded the health education company, Sapien. He also works to spread the awareness of regenerative agriculture and increase access to well-raised animal products through his company, Nose to Tail. Here is Brian Sanders. Brian Sanders, my friend, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hey, Ben, how's it going? It's going well. I'm, a, I'm excited for our conversation. I have been admiring your work. love what you're doing to debunk a lot of myths, which we'll talk about today for quite some time. And I'm a big fan of your podcast, your YouTube channel, your films. You've got a new film coming out, which we'll talk about as well. And we met at um, in Austin, where you live. We got to hang out for a bit, and I just love what you're doing, so I'm excited that you're on the show. And here's where I want to start, Brian, your story. Um, pain to purpose, man. I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, share a little bit about the challenges you had and what happened with your parents and what that did to raise questions for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. It, it is a sad story, and it's way too common, right? I think my parents had their health decline a little sooner than most, or maybe they're just older than most parents, but I was 30. I was about 30 years old. I lost both my parents. So huge impact to my life, devastating. They followed the food pyramid. We followed the food pyramid growing up. Uh, I never thought about health until I was about 30. I just thought, hey, we're doing it all right. You know, we're following the guidelines. I was also pretty active. I was always playing sports. And I think I got away with a lot uh, because how active I was. But then you turn 30 and you can't kind of eat whatever you want anymore. And, you know, your metabolism, it doesn't slow down, actually. That's a whole nother thing. It actually, you're less able to get away with things when it is becomes, it becomes more inefficient is more accurate to yeah. say. Huh? Yeah. And there's, a, yeah, there's a great guy uh, who studies this and he does a lot of the amazing research on aging and stuff and found, he did research with fruit flies and found that it's actually, you just become less adapted 
to the modern diet as you get older, right? So, you, so you're less adapted to the modern processed diet and, you know, kind of bad lifestyle that we live as you grow older. So that's a whole nother story. But that all happened around 30 and big wake up call. Uh, my parents had basically prediabetes and no one told them it. They had all these other health conditions. No one really notified them. And then they ended up with Alzheimer's and cancer. So these are another of these chronic lifestyle diseases that actually a lot of people don't even realize are very diet and lifestyle oriented. You know, most people think obesity, type 2 diabetes, like GI, all that type of stuff, but they don't realize that it's also Alzheimer's and cancers are, have a very big metabolic component. So yeah, woke me up, changed my life. I started getting into, I guess, Mark Sisson, you know, paleo, primal, like getting, you know, like, let's get rid of the sugar flour oil, these processed ingredients. And my life immediately changed. And so my friends were doing it. They kind of got me into it. And I saw they, they lost so much weight. Their body composition got so much better. And so I, I kind of credit them to getting me into it. And then I went down the rabbit hole since then just read, you know, hundreds of books, attended conferences, you know, in, did all my interviews, started my whole, you know, peak human podcast, did all that. And everything kind of went from there. But my quick personal health story was that, I, yeah, I was not obese. I, I said I was active and I, I kind of was always playing sports, but I had these common conditions that everyone thinks are normal. It's like, oh, dad bod, right? You turn 30, you have dad bod. I was heading that way. I saw all my other friends heading that way. I'm like, oh, this is how life is. I thought, oh, I, you have like GERD or, you know, the acid reflux, like all this type of stuff. Always had that. I'm like, oh, that's just part of life. That's so funny. Ha ha. Yeah. You go and every, you know, weekend you, you feel sick. That's so funny. That's me. Didn't know that that wasn't supposed to be how, how humans live. Uh, I had like joint pain. I had chronic overuse injury pain just from using the computer that all went away when I changed my diet. I had body composition, like I lost the dad bod, my allergies went away, like my energy changed. I mean, you know, you've heard these stories a million times, all the things that I thought were just part of aging went away and I felt amazing. So that really, yeah, yeah it's amazing. And, and you're journey. right, we need to redefine what aging should look like and feel like it's a uh, mainstream will have you to believe that dad bod is normal and acid reflux is normal and gaining five pounds every year is normal. And it's not, it's common. Yes, but normal. No, it's a big difference there. So I love how, you know, Mark Sisson is, is a great inspiration to me. I love how his work inspired you to be obsessed now with understanding this information, just doing that alone. What you said at the beginning, getting rid of sugar, flour, the bad oils, grains, like just doing those four things will get somebody in the right direction and then they could explore more and, and uncover other areas. But I know that your your mom is the one who had Alzheimer's and from my studying of, of uh, a you, she had, it was like for a year where she was kind of out of it and, and then eventually she had passed away and then your dad had cancer and they were young. They were in their 60s and 70s, right? Yeah, actually, so the almost correct. My mom's still oh, around. Okay. She's in stage seven. Stage seven Alzheimer's like, she somehow has been hanging around for so long um, without being able to communicate just just in a just terrible state of this, the very, very end stages of Alzheimer's. How long ago was she diagnosed with Alzheimer's? It was probably eight, nine years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's been so long. Yeah, so my dad passed away around seven years ago and uh, she is somehow still made it. 
your mom is a, a fighter. That's for sure. That, I guess so. That, that's, that's incredible. And, and for me, um, I lost my dad in uh, 2014 to the complications of diabetes, also lifestyle, standard American diet, food pyramid. And I never understood it as well, right? It's like, oh, diabetes, genetics, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, it's just a matter of time before I get it. Maybe I could slow it down, et cetera. And then my dad got sick, suffered a massive stroke, got paralyzed. And then nine months later, my dad passed away and it raised questions for me too. Like I followed all the conventional wisdom, made sure he had his insulin, made sure he had his medication and he just got worse and worse and worse. And I remember Brian, one of the doctor's appointments that I took my dad to, cause I would take him to all his doctor's appointments. They said, uh, in order to you know help with this diabetes so we could manage it better, he needs to lose some weight. And I said, okay, let's do that. And then I said, but aren't you giving him insulin and doesn't insulin cause him to gain weight? And they didn't have an answer for me and I didn't really seek the answer and it didn't really make sense back then. But now that I look back, they were not trying to help my dad reverse the diabetes. They were trying to manage it. And the truth is a cured patient is a lost customer. And that's just the fact of it. So if we're not taking our health serious, if we're treating our health casually, we end up a casualty. And, and that's why the work that you're doing in a conversation like this one that we're having right now empowers and inspires people. But Let's continue with this because you then changed your life. And at what point did you decide to start studying agriculture and regenerative farming and creating films to bring awareness to what's happening out there? Yeah. Wow. It was a few years later and I just kept seeing improvements and I got more and more into it. And it's actually when I saw What the Health. So What the Health was five years ago. It was in the summer, I believe, five years ago, saw it and and. It just made me mad because it went against, it was almost the antithesis of everything that I knew to be true. It's like I, how I got healthy was I started eating more animal foods and I cut the processed, highly processed foods and the you know refined grains and sugars. And they're talking about doing the opposite. They're like, oh, we need to get rid of the animal. It, it's absurd, right? And they, and they do all the bogus environmental arguments as well. So I already started learning about the environmental side, right? Once I started learning about the health side. So that was years previous. But then once I saw that film, I got, basically I, I quit my job and just decided to not go the normal route. I was an engineer, I was a mechanical engineer, I was in tech for a while. So I had these careers that were great, but they didn't sort of satisfy me in the same way and um, left that behind and just went with my savings and just started interviewing people, started the film Food Lies. and basically even started a company around it. Uh, I started my nose to tail company because once I learned so much about regenerative agriculture, I decided instead of having sponsors to anything I do, I can just be my own sponsor and support local ranches here in Texas. And then it's a, you know, win-win and I don't have to be affiliated with any other companies and kind of can just kind of stay free, which I think is good because I'm trying to make this film, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm really taking this unbiased approach as much as possible. And I don't want people saying, Oh, but that guy's like taking money from the food industry, or he's, he's part of like big ag or something, you know, like, no, I'm not, I'm completely unaffiliated. I don't take any money from any other companies. So that, yeah, that kind of led me down the road. And it's been a five year journey trying to put this film together. And Food Lies is the film and you have different series and you have a, a whole set of new series coming out regarding it. Share a little bit about Food Lies where my audience could learn more about it and then share a little bit after that 
with these propaganda films, you mentioned What the Health and, and Game Changers, which you made videos kind of debunking it. Share the challenges that the common person has when these films come out. But first talk about Food Lies and then talk about the challenges. Yeah, so Food Lies is my main project. It turned into a six-part series. And we're going high-end. We're going all out. I did make a Game Changers debunked film, which we just made in three weeks. And we threw it up on YouTube because we wanted to debunk the Game Changers film and you know do it quickly and not wait for a whole production. So we're doing a full-on production that is taking five years and is taking a lot of money and a lot of time. And a lot of people are wondering where it is. But you know that's how long it takes to do something quality. Game Changers took five years and took well, millions of dollars, really. It took James Cameron and all these celebrities like Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff, you know, coming together on it. And we're just doing it with me and a guy I grew up with in Hawaii, uh, who's amazing director and editor. So we're doing it together. We're kind of making the ultimate answer to all of the propaganda films. So it's not just sort of, it's not like an anti-vegan film. It's not an anti like what the health film or game changers film it's it's just the answer it, it gives the other side of the story and it puts it all in one place so guys like me and you people who are listening to this podcast are in the, the top 1% of people that seek out this information and are probably very knowledgeable compared to the general public right so i don't expect them to know all this stuff that the people listening would know we need to get it all in one place and into a digestible format of great audiovisual, entertaining, you know, informative piece for them to have this knowledge. Cause it's not gonna happen any other way. You know, like you know this. It's not like you could just tell someone, oh yeah, just go read The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teichholz. It's like 350 pages and uh, you know, has like a thousand references. No one's gonna do that. I I'll do it, you'll do it. But uh, you need something entertaining, you need something fun and engaging and it needs to be on Netflix, right? So that's our whole goal is get on Netflix. And we're going to great lengths to do so. I actually sent you the, the intro to that to let you know what we're doing here. The intro is absolutely incredible. I mean, I watched it right before earlier today and I was just, it's so well done. And that's not even complete yet. You're going to actually premiere the complete intro trailer at KetoCon. But the one you sent me, was absolutely incredible. And we need that. We need a film because you're right. I could tell people, go read The Big Fat Surprise. Go listen to my interview with Nina. Go listen to Brian's interview with Nina or this person. And maybe they'll do that. They'll start the book and stop. Or maybe they'll listen to the interview, but it's not enough. If we could send them to a film, hey, go watch Food Lies on Netflix. And that right there, entertainment, education, and that's how the game changers and the what the health has fooled so many people. They're smart and you're doing what they did. They're getting to where people are consuming content. And I think that's really smart. So how can you, what are the loopholes or what are the, the challenges with getting it on Netflix? How can you get it on there? Well, first you have to make it Netflix quality. So that's why I wanted to show you the intro before we talk today to let you know that we're, we're, we're doing Netflix quality. We're going above. That's and, Netflix quality. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. going above and beyond. I just tell you it, the first version of that, just half of the scenes took us three months to shoot. We hand shot each of those scenes uh, not every single scene. You, you can see some of them were obviously like we didn't shoot, but all the ones that look like we've shot, we shot those, we set them up. We got a studio, we handmade, each item, there's a, a wheel. Like one of the lines is, I didn't just wake up one day and quit my job and decide to make a food documentary. 
And we even have a wheel, you know, those little wheels that um, like wheel of fortune type things and it had all these different occupations, like become a carpenter, like become a chef. And it said, make a food documentary. And it had like, we made each thing for this to draw people in, right? Those first few minutes when you, you, you find something on Netflix matter, right? And we're like, we need to capture people. And we tell a good story too of, of why you need to watch this. We kind of give some of the, you know, content that we're going to talk about in it and give it, it's like a big, it's like a real, you know, intro. And so it's giving you a recap of what we're going to do. And I think it's, I mean, it's, it's all worth it. <laughs> it is. It is. And, and uh, I can't wait for that to be out and it's going to be on Netflix. The quality is Netflix quality. Absolutely. Let's share a little bit about some of the things you've uncovered, the food lies, if you will. You know, let's start with the whole argument that cows are creating pollution towards the earth, contributing to global warming and how we need to cut back on our meat consumption to save the planet. Let's talk about that. What are the flaws in that argument? Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's kind of three main arguments. People may know that the, the vegans or the anti-meat activists use, and it's environmental, the nutritional, and ethical. So we can kind of cover all those. And we do all those in the film. So the, the environmental side, I mean, if you think about it from the highest level, it's pretty absurd that you are blaming, if you picture some cattle in a field, this is the most natural thing to earth. This is why the earth exists the way it is. Why we have these grassland ecosystems is because we have ruminants on grass, you know, producing manure, chomping on the grass to stimulate it, to, to cut it back and then come around at another time and, and have it grow back and then chew it all over again. And these systems that nature has, right? Mother Nature is, is it's basically, it's like a miracle how they work. And there are all these harmonious systems. And when you start at the highest level, you can realize that there must be some propaganda. There must be some misinformation going on. If you're trying to blame the world's problem on the, the cow in the field. I mean, some people don't step back and like, think about that, right? You're just like, wait a second, you're blaming it on, on that? And then I'm like, yeah, then people will say, oh, okay, well, we're talking about the feedlots. I'm like, okay, now, now we're starting to have some you know, better conversation here. Yes, we don't want to put them on the dirt and, you know, crowd them in a feedlot and then feed them grains. But there's actually some efficiency to that. So I don't want to support it. But I mean, they're not just using all of these products just straight from the field. It's, it's like they get used, like the corn gets used for ethanol. So they make the biofuels and make the ethanol and then the cows get the leftover. They can get distillers yeast. They can get all of the distill, distillers leftovers that made beer or vodka, give it to the cows. You know, it's actually a good system. So if you're talking about methane from cows, there would have been a lot of methane if we just let those products go to waste. If we just put them in a landfill, that would create a lot of methane. So the cows can eat it and then they fatten up quickly and it's pretty efficient, but I mean, definitely not ideal. But then they do produce some methane, but I mean, you could go on forever about this. I like to use the, the higher level arguments that you so people can just visualize in their head and you don't have to get into the science because there's tons of other people doing the science and Frank Mintloner and you know doing all the studies to show why it, it, this environmental stuff is wrong. But with, with the methane argument, there's a methane cycle that is basically the above ground cycle where it's a natural cycle where plants you know get CO2 from the atmosphere and then cows eat them and they actually do more burping. It's, it's not farting, it's burping. And then that goes up into the atmosphere and then it turns back into CO2 within 10 years and then comes back down into the plants. 
So it's just this harmonious cycle that happens, right? This is how the earth's always existed. There's always been methane coming from ruminant animals. There's methane from horses. There's methane from humans. And humans produce gas. You know, there's always this methane, but it just goes up, comes back down. It's part of the natural system. What people don't understand is there's a huge smokescreen. There's a huge diversion going on that the big industry, the fossil fuel industries, these are the ones pushing this message. They're like, blame the cows, blame the cows. You're like, wait a second, 95% of all of the missions problems are from the other industries, right? It's like, it's such a diversion tactic to blame it on the cow when they, so in these other industries, so the opposite to this harmonious cycle of the methane going up in the atmosphere and coming back down is the fossil fuel industry, which is extracting you know, carbon from deep in the ground, you know, extracting oil and any kind of energy takes inputs from the ground and then it's basically burning them and putting it up into the atmosphere. So that's a one-way street, right? So that's, we're taking carbon that was buried deep in the ground that wasn't, you know, around and putting it up into the atmosphere and, and especially particulate matter, right? That's what people should care about. You don't like, like actual pollution. So that's the real problem. That is very different from the natural methane cycle. And that's where we should be focused on. But big industry is the one that's controlling this narrative. And they don't want you focused on that because it's way easier to just blame the cow. So the, that's the number one problem you're saying. It's the fossil fuel production? Yeah. And big industry and, and anything around it. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of obvious to people if you think about it. It's like people know like taking one plane ride would do... You could eat like, yeah, the amount of... I forget the statistics. Like if you... There was a reasonable amount of meat someone ate over the course of a year and it was only equal to one-sixth of one plane ride. Wow. That's... You know, <laughs> right? it's, it's, so, it's so funny and sad because you have these billionaires, millionaires, and I'm not against being a billionaire or a millionaire at all, but they fly on their private jets and they preach this message of, you know, car carbon emissions and global warming. And yet they're flying on those jets, which is causing much more problems than eating meat, to your point here. Such hypocrisy, isn't it? It is. It is. But this is how big business works. So most of the environmental stuff is really just this shifting of the blame, right? And then meat is the scapegoat. It's actually kind of a scapegoat for all of the problems, if you're talking about nutritional and even you could say ethical, is that this is why you've only heard this message. And I mean, you've as in the mainstream population, people always like, oh, well, why is everyone so coordinated on this? And why is it that I all? Well, it's because all of the industries are based on this. It's like we talked about the sick care industry and the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors, that whole system is set up just as management, right? It's disease management. It's not fixing it. They're, who are they funded by? It all works together, right? The, the big food companies, the textbooks that are written, the dietitians, the, the people doing the research, it's all the same funding that goes to perpetuate these systems. And that's how big systems work. They need to be perpetuated. They need money. They need to grow. They need to keep the status quo. So they keep, it, it works out for them to keep these, these messages in the public. Did you know that your natural ability to digest food declines with age? This is because your body produces fewer enzymes, which are the proteins responsible for digesting food. Fewer enzymes means more difficulty digesting food. This is especially true if you cook your food because cooking kills enzymes. This is why you may have a digestive problem even after a healthy meal. It could be a keto meal or a carnivore meal. 
Sometimes you just can't produce enough enzymes to get the job done. This is where supplementing with a high quality enzyme supplement can be a huge help. I personally recommend and use Masszymes by Buy Optimizers. It's a best in class supplement loaded with full spectrum enzymes for digesting proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Taking Masszymes daily helps to top off your enzyme levels and replaces the enzymes your body is no longer producing, which means you'll be able to eat all sorts of delicious keto and carnivore foods and digest them effortlessly. After you start taking Masszymes, you may notice that you no longer feel bloated after meals and your belly feels flatter. And if you have leaky gut, Masszymes could reduce gut irritation and help you absorb more nutrients. If you want freedom from your food, try Masszymes risk-free and experience for yourself the magic of high-quality enzymes. For an exclusive offer to Keto Camp Podcast listeners, head over to masszymes.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code KETOCAMP10 at checkout for 10% off your order. It's spelled M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com slash ketocamp. We'll drop a link down below with the coupon code. And you're right. The writing is on the wall. If you do a little bit of some research and create some awareness, the writing is on the wall. For example, you go to your grocery store right now and you go to the section where there's cooking oils. We know how inflammatory seed oils are, canola, soybean, et cetera. They're highly inflammatory. The research is out there. And you see a stamp of approval from the American Heart Association, right? You see a stamp of approval from these government-funded companies, big pharma, big food companies. And you wonder, how are they putting that stamp of approval? I remember asking Dr. Kay Shanahan, who, who I know you've interviewed her before, about that. And she says, well, Ben, you know, the American Heart Association is the biggest propaganda fake news organization in the United States. She tells me they they pay for this research, hundreds of millions of dollars each year to fund this research. And it's like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. It's it's so much propaganda and it's so challenging to the average person who just wants to eat healthy and their doctor tells them, eat the canola, eat the plant-based burger. It's just so challenging. So your film is going to be such, <laughs> no pun intended, it's going to be a game changer <laughs> because it's going to change so many lives and it's going to help them get educated in an entertaining way. I want to stay on this topic, Brian, of meat. I know you're a big fan of protein consumption, protein, nutrients versus carbs and fat. Explain that breakdown and why you believe the reason we see this obesity is because of a protein deficiency. Yeah, I love this. So we do that in the film. For one, we do break down a lot of that stuff in the film, like the how that AHA got started and the funding and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and we're telling all these stories. And, and another story you bring up is exactly right. Is it's We call it the nutrient to energy type of thing. There's a guy, Dr. Ted Naiman, people probably are aware of him. You probably interviewed him. But he has a protein to energy thing. We're, we're saying it's nutrient to energy because protein is a nutrient. So you're exactly right. It's protein and nutrients are on one side. These are your building blocks, right? This is what's... And includes vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, right? So basically nutrition is just these things. It's the essential building blocks, all the nutrients, proteins, vitamins, minerals, and then it's energy, which is fat or carbs, right? And, and yes, some of these fats have essential nutrients as well, but we'll, we'll just group them like this. And really having a good diet and a good body composition is basically just a balance between these two things, nutrient and energy. And 
Dr. Ted goes into great detail on this and he's in the film explaining this well. Dr. Kate's in the film as well, doing her thing. Uh, we got all we got all the big hitters here. But protein and nutrients to energy is such an important concept because all mammals, really all animals, all life forms basically acquire food to get the building blocks. And for all of history, the amount of energy that comes with those nutrients and protein and building blocks has always balanced and has always been in the correct ratio, right? And this gets into the protein leverage hypothesis, which has been studied. And they've studied in all different animals. They've gone down to crickets, they've done mice, rodents, up to humans. And that that mammals and all animals really will eat to get a certain amount of protein or nutrients. And if their food supply is diluted of protein, so if, if it doesn't have enough, so they can do these experiments very easily with rodents or with crickets or um, different animals, you just give them a food that is low in protein and then they just have to eat more of it <laughs> to get the protein they need, right? And so then they will gain weight. And, and it's, it's pretty simple. And they've done all different versions of these tests and humans are no different. So it kind of makes sense when you look at a population and over the course of us becoming obese and sick in say since 1980, that's when the big uptick is that uh, you've probably seen those graphs where it's a sharp uptick in 1980, which was when the dietary guidelines were introduced. <laughs> Not a coincidence, but the protein of the population has dropped since then. So it's dramatically dropped. And if you do the math, you actually see that if you drop the protein in a population, they'll have to eat more calories as a result. And it kind of corresponds with how overweight everyone's gotten. So yes, there's more to it too with the seed oils and inflammatory and there's all this other stuff going on. But I think it's really interesting that you can just even see what went wrong at a world level when you're eating low protein. And then I think we definitely need to include nutrients into that because protein is fine, right? It's like, yes, you could be a bodybuilding bro and just take protein shakes and eat egg whites, but there's more to the story, right? Because those guys aren't after amazing health and an amazing immune system and longevity. They're after getting muscles. And so you need to look beyond just protein. And I've gotten big into all the nutrients, vitamins, minerals. There, there's so much that goes on that it's hard to study and it's hard to see in your body too, right? And so some of it is, it's it's a bit of a soft science and uh, it takes some self-experimentation and it takes changing your diet on your own to see these results. And I don't know if we're going to have good studies. I, I, there's guy, Dr. Stefan von Vliet, that's looking into the, the metabolomics and getting into these details of nutrient density and you know what these foods provide other than just macronutrients, right? There's so many micros, but it's hard to do these studies. So to go back to my personal story, I've seen an amazing change in my health and immune system and all this by eating for nutrient density, right? So not just thinking about protein, although I do think about protein and also protein comes along with the nutrients and nutrients come along with the protein, right? They, they go hand in hand, especially animal-based protein. And since I've changed my diet and sort of doubled down on the animal foods and got rid of most of the processed foods, I haven't gotten sick in seven years. Like nothing's happened since I, since I was started my journey. Maybe I did in the first year. That's why I say seven, not eight, because I guess my, my journey's been eight years. I just can't get sick. It's just my my immune system. I'm just running on a whole different level. 
And I think, especially the past two years, you know, people are getting exposed for their diet and lifestyle and that, you know, people are getting sick because they're getting worse outcomes with COVID because they are not immune healthy. They are not, they're basically not living the ideal diet and lifestyle, obviously. So it's just so hard to gauge these things, right? It's like, we can put it together, all these anecdotes. Like, I don't know if you, this experience or people, you know, or just how to even quantify this health gain that you've had since changing your diet. Yeah. And it's unique to the person, right? So it's hard to do it in a, in a study because there's a lot of variables, but to your point about your immune system being rock solid and not getting sick, it's not that Brian is in a bubble and not going out and, and exposing his immune system to other bacteria and viruses he might be getting infected, but his immune system is so uh, working so properly, it doesn't allow it. He doesn't allow his body to get sick. It, it deals with it right away. And that's what you want. You want a healthy immune system that does that. And that's what we don't have as an American population and why we see so many people getting sick, especially those who are obese and um, insulin resistance, et cetera. And it's interesting because, yeah, in 1980, the food pyramid came out and then obesity rises, protein consumption goes down. And of course, that's when we start applications of glyphosate as well. And, and, and all these uh, pesticides and herbicides, that goes up, which is problematic as well. So there's a lot of variables there. But when you look at what people are eating, uh, standard American diet, going to their grocery store, packaged foods, what do they all have in common? As you know, Brian, they're very low in protein. They're high in fat, maybe, and carbs and seed oils and sugar, but low in protein. And that's why, and I agree with you, people are overeating to get that protein requirement where if they just shift it, okay, no more packaged food, let me eat actual meat that has natural fat with it. It's so satiating. And that's something that I teach my students in my Keto Camp Academy all the time. Once I get them into ketosis and they're fat adapted, let's prioritize protein. Let's activate cholecystokinine, leptin, peptide YY, these satiety hormones, because it's very difficult to overeat with protein. If you ate a 16 ounce steak ribeye, at your restaurant, and they're like, we're giving you another free steak. No, 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 I, I, there's no way I could eat that. They bring you some dessert, sure, because it doesn't activate those same satiety hormones and chemicals, but that protein requirement, let me ask you this. I know it's hard to give the answer here, but what would be a general recommendation for how much protein the average person should be eating each day? Yeah, this is up for debate. I like to get close to a gram uh, per pound of body weight, or you could say a per pound of lean body mass. Like I like to get up there because I don't see any downsides. I've interviewed a lot of protein researchers and a lot of people may have heard, oh, it's bad for your kidneys, oh, it's bad for this. I, I've interviewed a lot of these top scientists. It's not true. I mean, if you already have like a severe kidney problem, then there, there's a chance that there may be something. But for the general public, there's nothing in the science that says that you should be limiting proteins. Unless you're doing high protein and high carbs, then that could be problematic. But if you're just doing high protein and fat, Exactly. Oh, yeah. If you're eating high protein and high processed foods, yeah, then that that could be a problem. Absolutely. That that that's kind of like where all of our idea of what's wrong comes from is because people are eating high meat, but they're also eating high processed foods, and then the meat gets blamed. So yes, it's 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 not the meat; it's what else you eat. That, that's a shirt I made. Uh, so <laughs> okay. yeah. So what? We'll, wait. So yeah. What was the question? You already answered it. One gram of uh, protein oh, okay, per yeah. pound of lean body weight, right? So if somebody's ideal weight is like 130 pounds, you're saying most days consume 130 grams of protein. 
Absolutely. And use that satiety, le that lever right there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm big on the satiety thing. And I think there's this concept that I've been playing around with, with Dr. Ted for a while. I, I, I kind of pitched this idea of satiety per calorie to him. And I don't know if you've seen his work lately. He's kind of made some cool graphics about it. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's so interesting. So it's satiety per calorie. So what I said is that throughout history, we've got some protein and nutrients from whole foods and that they've come with the correct amount of energy along with it, right? It's like if it's just naturally come with the right amount of energy. And then now we have all these processed foods and they're basically low in protein stuffed with extra energy, extra fats, carbs, refined food, sugars, grains. And that's when we have the problem, right? So this is the satiety to calorie concept is basically built on that. Basically all whole foods and mostly animal foods and protein foods have the correct satiety per calorie. So I don't like looking at calories, right? I think it's kind of meaningless, but it's like you eat a 60 ounce steak. I have zero care how many calories are in that steak because I know if I'm eating that amount of food, the satiety will match the amount of calories. So I'm going to be full for the correct amount of time, okay? The opposite would be a glass of orange juice or something, apple juice. So the, this does not provide satiety, but it provides all the calories. So does that make sense? And then something in between would be like a bowl of pasta. So it, it has some satiety, but it, it's not going to keep you full. Like that's the whole joke. You eat the Chinese food and you're hungrier an hour later. It's just a bunch of empty carbs and the seed oils, right? So I try to post or talk about this idea more. It's a bit like complicated to talk about the satiety for calories per calorie. And it sounds a little mathematic, but what it means is Whole foods, especially the protein and animal foods, they keep you full properly. They keep you full for the right amount of time. They have this, the right amount of satiety to calories. The more processed food you have or the more processed ingredients are, the less satiety they have, but they still have the same amount of calories, right? So I think this is kind of like explains a lot. It's like, why, like, why are processed food bad? Why, why do people overeat? It kind of ties together all the, the protein leverage hypothesis, all the nutrient leverage hypothesis, all this stuff together. It's, well, if you're eating foods that are highly processed, you're missing out on the good protein and nutrients and vitamins and minerals that will keep you full and what your body needs. And you're getting too much energy, whether it be fat or carbs. And that's where you run into a problem. And that's why people overeat. No one wants to be overweight. No one wants to be fat or sick, yet it's happened. So it's why. It's why. It's why. You can't just say eat less, move more. Like no one can eat less and move more. Why can they not? You got to go to the why, right? Why? It's because there's the food is changed. That's why 1980, there's an uptick because they gave us different food recommendations. Something has changed. And we need to think about that. So it's why. It's because the foods don't have the same satiety per calorie. They don't have the same, you know, basically nutrient value and it's not what our body expects that you know we've survived on throughout history makes total sense to me it really does and just from my own experiments doing 30 days of carnivore 40 days of carnivore where it's just animal-based protein i find myself naturally eating less just because i'm so full and i'll do either one meal or two meals no snacking i'm just so satiated and not just me i've taken a lot of my students through 30 days of carnivore and they all report the same thing ben i find myself doing one meal a day or two meals and my sugar cravings are gone i no longer need a snack it's just the protein is so satiating and it's going to be unique to find that threshold but i completely agree but let me make some arguments now Let, let's see you uh the, the the argument against animal-based protein there's a few you already spoke about the protein and the kidneys 
no concern there. Uh, the research is clear. Unless you have a history of kidney disease or active something going on with your kidney, maybe you should be cautious, but if you don't, you're good. What about the link between red meat and cancer and then the link between eating a lot of animal-based protein and uric acid levels rising? Yeah, so cancer... So I actually interviewed Dr. David Clerfeld, who was on the WHO working group in 2015 that made that decision that meat caused cancer, right? So this is this famous thing. It's, it's the one and only, you know, study or piece of research that said it. And it was a group put together by the WHO. And Dr. David Clerfeld was a USDA scientist. He's just a reasonable guy. He's not like some carnivore or anything. He's just total like mainstream scientist. But he was the one sticking up for the truth. And he said, I got special clearance to interview him. And he said, the whole panel was a bunch of vegans and vegetarians. And that they had an agenda that I think the WHO has an agenda to, to push this plant-based narrative. And you, you can ask why, and, and that's for another time. But I, I think there definitely is this sort of kind of worldwide agenda. And that's what I'm speaking on at KetoCon is the kind of what is with the worldwide agenda against me, right? So I kind of like, get into to why it's happening. But uh, he basically said, it. he's like, yeah, it was a biased group of people that were there to just make meat seem like it caused cancer. And he brought different studies to the table and they ignored them. He's like, well, here's, you guys are just using epidemiology. You guys are using food questionnaires and all this stuff. I, he brought, you know, actual RCTs and, you know, there's not that many of them. And he, he brought some studies to the table and they threw them out. They didn't use them. And RCT, RCTs are random control trials for those who are wondering, by the way. Yeah. 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 And so those are the, that's the gold standard. They, they didn't use them. Epidemiology can't show causation. It can only show co correlation. So now we have the whole world believing that red meat caused cancer because this biased group of people got together and basically made it that way. So yeah, there, there is no... And I even push back on processed meat. So they say red meat likely causes cancer and that like processed meat does. And I think it's more to do with the correlation between more people are eating way more processed foods with processed meat, right? Like if you're eating a hot dog, people are eating a bun. You know what I mean? Like I get it. When people are eating a steak, maybe they're not eating a bun. So there's less of a correlation of just the bad habits and the bad diet that go along with it. So I think if you're eating a, you know, a sausage, like I, I make good sausage at nose to tail. Like I buy good sausage from farmers. It's just meat. Right? It's just meat in a convenient form. <laughs> hey, Keto Camper, it is time to get your shift together. What do I mean? Sugar Shift is a unique probiotic designed as a working system to convert the sugars, glucose, and fructose in your gut to the free radical scavenger mannitol, which also feeds a healthy gut microbiome, supports the mitochondria, and by the way, it increases the production of butyrate, which helps protect the gut lining and is one of the main ketone bodies. You heard of it, beta-hydroxybutyrate. This is one of my favorite formulas. It's an eight-strain formula built as a working system to provide specific gut functions, and it's unique in its probiotic formulation. One of my favorite things about this product is that it breaks down and detoxifies glyphosate. The product also includes strains that has been shown to improve muscle mass and support changes in body mass. I've used it with several of my Keto Camp Academy students and they have reported to me it's helped them with their sugar cravings, it helped them with their transition from sugar burner to fat burner, helps to keep them in ketosis and take the results to another level. 
helps when they hit a plateau, improves digestion. In a recent study, BiotiQuest, the company that makes Sugar Shift, showed huge improvements in blood sugar reduction, A1C reduction, also reducing LPS, which is an endotoxin that can create inflammation in your body. If you'd like to get your hands on a bottle of Sugar Shift from BiotiQuest, head to BiotiQuest.com, which is spelled B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T, and then put the coupon code CAMP, K-A-M-P-1-0 at checkout, and also check out their other products as well. We'll drop links down below with the coupon code in the podcast notes. There's so much confusion out there. The, just the other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I posted a video on um, my TikTok, a little 30-second video, and someone comments, you know, the real problem is why we have obesity and disease is because of meat and dairy. And I'm like, actually, quality meat is very healing to the body is what I wrote back. And he goes, no credible doctor or scientist will say that. And I said, actually, I've interviewed over 400 and they all agreed to that. It's like, come on, people, we need to get the truth out there. But the, the kudos to the the vegan industry, because they do a really good job at marketing. You know, Kevin Hart, the comedian's coming out with this new fast food chain of like plant-based burgers. You got Bill Gates, you got a game changers. They do a really good job. So it's hard to to keep up with their funding and all that. And, and uh, where do you see this going? Where do you see this? Because there's a huge movement with the vegan plant-based movement. Where is this going in the next five years? I think it's going to scary places. That's why I'm trying to push back because I see what the what, that all the World Health Organizations are involved in the UN and the Eat Lancet. If people know what Eat Lancet and they they form these big partnerships with big food companies. And if you look at who's funding the Eat Lancet and who's part of it, it's this group called Fresh, and it's a huge conglomeration of worldwide processed food companies. And they Lancet, which is a huge supposedly respectable journal, right? And they're the ones putting out these planetary health diets where you can eat seven grams of red meat. And you know, it's like, it's it's a basically a almost vegan diet that really, the countries that are currently eating as little meat as they suggest, have 30 to 40% child malnourishment and stunted growth. Imagine that. So Dr. Frederick Leroy uh, studies this, and he writes a lot of papers, and I interviewed him recently, and he put out this graphic showing like, the planetary health diet put out by Eat Lancet and all these conglomeration of you know big food companies around the world, WHO, all these people are part of this. And the, he graphs it to the, the worldwide level of meat consumption. And at the level they're talking about, it's all the countries that have stunted growth and malnourishment. So some people, it's hard for people to believe like the, the vegan guys on in the internet will, will say, oh yeah, well, everyone agrees. Or like whatever statements you, you've heard, it's hard because there is this worldwide force against us and they, and they do do good uh, marketing and they're very clever and they have a lot of money. And I think a lot of it is to, yeah, kind of control the whole food um, system, really. You can't control individual farmers making meat and getting it to producers. There's no profit margin to be made. I think a lot of it's about the profit margin, actually. So there's not a... There's barely any profit margin in milk, eggs, fish, any fresh foods. There's very little profit margin or all the profits in is in the processing. So that's why I think this whole vegan agenda is really coming from is it's being pushed forward by the big companies and the big world powers um, because for one, they have so much money and there's so much money to be made off it. 
And uh, they kind of like hijacked the animal rights activists, you know, and, and the animal rights activists kind of like have just fallen in line uh, unknowingly. But it really comes down to the profit margins and that's where it all is. And I mean, just, okay, in 1980, when the dietary guidelines came out, we started having the low fat thing. And that gave the green light to the food industry. And they just really adopted this. Oh, low fat's bad. Okay, let's make all these processed foods. And they made a whole bunch of money, right? Then that ran its course. Now the new one is the plant-based thing. Because they still had animal foods. They would just do low-fat yogurt. Like, oh, we'll just take the, the fat out of the yogurt. But at least people still got animal-based good proteins and nutrition. Now it's getting even worse. It's like we can make even more money and even more uh, profit margin off if we could take all the animal foods out of it because it's the most expensive part and protein is always the most expensive. So we can uh, have the ultimate cheap fake food to sell people. And you asked where it's going. I mean, it looks like it's going to sort of like a social credit score type of thing where I'm just really afraid of there, there being like, you know, there's taxes. They're talking about meat taxes or carbon tax, or they already have even with junk food, I don't like the idea of taxing, like there's a soda tax, like in New York or something, you know, that if we start taxing food and junk food, and we think that's a good thing, but then what happens when, well, they already think that meat is bad. So now all of a sudden there's going to be restrictions or taxes on meat. So I think where it's going is even more centralization of, of power with the food system. And it could even go to, well, now, uh, you know, we're tracking, you know, what you eat, like we, you know, even with cashless society, or they even have chips in the UK, they're, they're testing out chips um, to pay for food with your hand or something. So then they could say, oh, well, you've already gotten your limit of meat for the week, you know, and, and we know that meat's bad, the WHO says meat's bad. So you can't buy any more meat. This is what I think is happening. And I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I mean, some of these big organizations are even talking about how this is the plan. You know, they they are trying to do some of these things. Yeah, it may be the plan. And uh, the bottom line is we are going to determine whether or not they are able to execute that plan, right? So we vote with our forks, you know, or, or the, where we choose to spend our money. So the fact that we could do that and create regenerative farming, doing the things that you do, just sharing this messages, this message and we have control over it because I agree with you. I do believe that's the direction they want to lead us towards, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's going to be more people waking up, more conversations like this. Your film's going to get out there and create havoc. It might, you know, I don't know if you remember that film, Root Cause Movie. Have you ever heard of that film about, about uh, root canals? Yeah, I did. I watched it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a great film too. And that got taken off of Netflix. It was so controversial. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to happen to your film, but... It actually did the film a favor because so many people were like, oh, what, what's that film that got taken off? And they put on their website as like a rental and they actually got more views because of that. So it might be a good thing. But so your information is so important. This conversation is so important. Share now, Brian, your um, your websites. I know you, you do a lot of different things, right? But you have sapien.org. So share a little bit about that and about your regenerative farming and what you're doing with that. Yeah, saving.org is kind of the landing page for it all. And you can link out to Food Lies. So foodlies.org, and that's the film. And we're still on Indiegogo. So we definitely still need more funds. We don't we don't take the money. It goes to the graphic artists and the composer. And we're doing, you know, super custom stuff. And then nosetail.org is the meat 
So that's where the we we raise it here in Texas and we ship it out to people, kind of like Butcher Box, but it's all regenerative, you know, grass fed stuff. And yeah, and then other than that, it's my Instagram says Food Lies or Twitter, YouTube, just search anywhere for Food Lies, and that's where I do my content. Yeah, Instagram Instagram is Food Lies. You got a great Instagram. So for those listening and watching and you're like, I want to make, I want to be a part of this. Uh, I want to make a difference here. I don't want it to go that direction of a social credit system or ha- them having control over what we get to eat. Uh, donating to your film would be a great thing to do. Um, so we're going to grab a link for that along with all the other resources you just mentioned. We're going to put it down below. If you're watching on YouTube, it's right down below. If you're listening on the podcast, it's down below. Donate whatever you feel is fit because you're, you're going to contribute to this message and to the cause. And then when the film is out there, watch it and share it and get it to as many people as possible. Go to sapien.org, foodlies.org, nosetail.org. Check the links down below. Brian, last thing I want to ask you as we wrap up the conversation is the word gratitude, right? I, I love gratitude. It's a big part of my day-to-day. I call it vitamin G. What are you grateful for today, Brian? Oh, man. Well, other than you having me on the show, <laughs> which I am very grateful for, I guess I'm grateful for vitamin D. I'm grateful for the sun. Right before we got on this, I was out getting my sun. Me too. And I just, <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Yeah, it recharged me. I felt better. I felt ready for this conversation. And yeah, I'm so grateful for the, the I have the flexibility to go outside and get sun every day. And I just want to encourage everyone to do the same. Even if it's 10 minutes, just go out there, throw your shirt off, get some sun. <laughs> Great tip. You're so right. Uh, the sun is healing and you won't burn if you eat clean and get away from seed oils and you don't burn. I, I play basketball for three hours outside here in the hot Miami sun. I don't burn. It's this really the seed oils and the high dose fish oil and all that stuff. But I'm grateful for you, Brian. I'm grateful we met in Austin. I'm grateful for Food Lies and what you're doing to get the message out there. This is going to be an incredible film. The trailer is amazing. And uh, I want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing. It's making a big difference. So I'm excited for it. And uh, thank you so much for coming on my show, my friend. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian. You can learn more about Brian over at sapien.org and foodlies.org. His nose-to-tail company for regenerative agriculture meat is nose-to-tail.org as well. We'll put his social media down below, including his website and his YouTube and social media and also his podcast. If this episode was valuable to you, please share it with somebody. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. Let's get the message out there. Go support the film Food Lies. It's going to be out very soon. It is amazing. I saw the trailer, as I mentioned on the interview, and it is absolutely incredible. And I want to thank you for spending part of your day with Brian and myself listening to the Keto Camp podcast. I am so grateful. I hope you have an incredible day, and I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. 
If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.